In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Read that I read the lessons, and uh, while I was reading the lessons, I kept thinking, "Ah, good news? I need some good news in these lessons. Where are the good news in this lesson? I, of course, was tempted to travel over to Matthew's Gospel and uh, talk about how the early church, which is when Matthew gets, uh, the Gospel is written, it's about the first followers of Christ. And uh, for those first followers of Christ, when they proclaimed the faith of the newborn church, uh, the families were rent asunder. And so he's saying, you've got to go out there, you've got to be the disciples, but families are going to break up, families are going to happen. And for many of us here growing up in uh, the United States and being part of the United States, you know that that's really not an issue most of the time. Although I tell you one story just to give you an example. We, uh, a member of the a woman who was born in the uh, Muslim faith decided that she was going to be a member of the Christian faith. And so she came to our church wanting to be baptized, and she went through the classes and everything else. And while, uh, when she finally told her family that she was going to be baptized into the Christian faith, her father rejected her. Mother rejected her. And it became a huge family issue for a long time. And not until she was married did the father and the mother decide that the relationship trumped the issue, the issue of religion, and they showed up for the wedding. But it can happen. It still happens. So that's just a commentary on Matthew. But what I really want to talk about is about this reading from the book of Genesis about Hagar. You know Hagar? Uh, we have the story of Hagar today, the last part of the story of Hagar today, who's the first surrogate mother. That's really what she is. She is the first surrogate mother. You have to go back to chapter 16 to understand the story completely. As you will know, Abraham is 80-some-odd years old, but God has promised him that he's going to have a family. He said, you're going to have a son, and yes, going to be the beginning of all the faith for all the nations. It's going to be a huge family. Well, guess what? Sarah is also beyond childbearing age. So finally, because Sarah knows that uh, she's not going to bear any children, doesn't believe she's going to bear any children, she does what I think is a very, very odd thing to do. And she gives her husband, Abraham, 80-some-odd years old, a young slave girl who's her slave. Her name is Hagar, and he gives her to an 80-year-old man. Now, just right off the very beginning, you can tell the story. It's not going to end up very well. You all can laugh about that one, let me tell you that, especially all you older guys gathered here. So she gets the young slave woman, and sure enough, they have a son, and his name is Ishmael. As the son Ishmael is brought up, Sarah, who now regrets her action, the actions of the surrogate mother, does not behave very well towards Ishmael. And the mother, Hagar, deciding that Ishmael's life may be in danger, she decides to leave the camp, and she wanders out into the desert. And when she wanders out into the desert, uh, an angel appears before her and says, Go back. You need to go back. That's how we're going to fulfill the promise. Your child is going to be the father of many people, father of many nations, uh, but go back. So she pays attention to the angel, and she goes back. Now, by that time... Abraham is 90-some-odd years old, and you know the story. Sarah conceives and has a child, Isaac. And when they have the big party to winning the child, Ishmael and Isaac are playing together, and Sarah doesn't like it. And she tells Abraham, I don't like the attention that Ishmael is getting. I don't like this good fellow kind of a thing. And he says, you've got to get rid of her which uh, is probably the end of, or at least the commentary on the solidarity of sisterhood, don't you think? 
and she decides she's got to go. I don't want her around here. I've always thought about Sarah, you know, one of the things I love about the book of Genesis and all of these uh, first five books of the biblical narratives is that everybody here is a very flawed character. You encounter flawed characters over and over and over. So perhaps a bit of the good news is this. If our ancestors of the faith, which are found in the biblical character and biblical narratives, are so flawed, uh, then there's room for you and me. Don't you think? If all these characters are so flawed, think about yourself. I know that some of you here at St. John's Church feel that you're not flawed, but most of us think that we are flawed. And for all of us who feel and know that we are flawed, there is room for us in the story. There is room for us because there's a struggle within our soul, and there's a struggle within Sarah's soul. She's caught worried, she's afraid, and she's afraid because there are two theologies that are playing at her heart. One of them is the theology of scarcity and the theology of abundance. If you believe and your heart is controlled by the theology of scarcity, let me tell you, there's not enough love to go around. If you believe in the theology of scarcity, there's not enough grace to go around. If you believe in the theology of scarcity, there's not enough money to go around. If you believe in the theology of scarcity, there is no room for everybody. Now, what God invites us to consider is how theology of abundance, that there is plenty of love. There's a lot of love. There's enough grace. There's enough money. There's enough room. There's enough everything in this world if we believe in a theology of abundance, and it can control our hearts, or a theology of scarcity can control our hearts. And if the theology of scarcity controls our heart, let me tell you, fear will get a hold of it. And fear is destructive. Fear will kill us. Fear sells, though. It's just happening to us in this country, don't you think? Everything is about fear. Everything is about telling us to be afraid of someone or somebody or not enough, whatever it happens to be. And you and I know that fear sells. Fear controls people. And all of us need to con consider for ourselves, why is it that we're afraid? And perhaps we can start thinking about which theology is the th theology that controls our heart and pray for that theology of abundance to be the driving force in our lives. But let's move on. So Hagar gets kicked out. She gets sent out into the desert. And while she's out there in the desert, you know, the only thing that she has to, you know, let me stop for a moment and talk about Abraham here. You know, this is the father of Ishmael. Don't you think he would have argued with God? He does earlier. He argues with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the story? When he says, if there are 100 righteous people, will you burn the city down? goes down, if there are 50 righteous people, if there are 40 righteous people, he argues with God. I would like to think uh, that if the woman who has given you your first son is being sent out and God assents to it, which is a story here, God doesn't come out very well in this story either. If God says, yeah, go ahead and send her out into this, don't you think you should have argued with it? Don't you think you would have argued with God and said, well, hold on a second. Don't you say that the widows are important? Don't you say that children are important? What's going on here? Abraham, I have to tell you, Abraham, next Sunday, the story of Abraham is the story of uh, the sacrifice of Isaac. And I've always wondered about Abraham. 
Every time I read that particular story, I said, are you crazy? Do you know what you're doing? Shouldn't you be asking some questions? Shouldn't we all be asking some questions? And you would hope that Abraham would stand up to Sarah, which is a dangerous thing, <laughs> or to God, who is even a more dangerous thing. But he doesn't. And all he gives Sarah is a loaf of bread and a jug of water. He gives to Hagar is a loaf of bread and a jug of water. And Hagar sets off into the wilderness. She gets near Beersheba. The loaf of bread is gone. The water has been emptied. And like the mother, all the mothers of children that are dying in their arms, she just cannot tolerate it. She just can't stand it. So she knows the son is going to die, puts him in the shade of a tree, and walks away so that she won't hear the cries. She will not be able to hear the cries of her son when he dies. Feel the agony. And she weeps. And she prays. And when she prays, God responds with an angel that says, look around you. There's a pool of water nearby. It's fresh water. Fill your jug with water, bring it to the child, because he's going to be the father of many nations. And she acts. And she takes the jug of water, gives life back to Ishmael, the son, and the story goes on to become the father of many nations. I don't know about you, but Hagers are all around us. Women who have been mistreated and women who will do anything to protect their children. I don't know how many of you have had an opportunity to go over to the, uh, National, the Museum of uh, African American History in Washington, D.C., but every time you go over there, if you read the story of Hagar, I think of all the slave women who did everything within their power to try to keep their children as one family, who tried to do everything, lie, beg, cheat, steal, whatever they needed to do to try to keep those families together. I think of Hagar every time I look at the news and I see uh, an Afghan mother escaping from all the bombs, doing whatever she has to do, bribe the border guard, do whatever she has to do to gain some safety for her son. I think about a Syrian woman who tries to get out of that whole mess that we call Syria, trying to escape the danger, trying to save their children and will do anything in their power to save those children. Those are the Hagars of our world. For most of us, you know, in our liturgy today, we're going to mention in a little while that we're going to pray for refugees and migrants throughout the world. It's a very Episcopal thing to say, and it is a good thing to say. But I want to tell you, uh, for all of us, and I invite you to consider this, what does that mean for us? You ever watch it? You know, one of the things that I worry the most about in this country is that uh, we're losing our sense of compassion. We're losing any sense of compassion Somebody told me the other day that we were experiencing compassion fatigue. And when they told me that if we're experiencing compassion fatigue, we are in deep, deep trouble. We're in deep, deep trouble because we can't recognize pain in somebody else. And you and I both know that when you are experiencing pain and somebody sits next to you and weeps with you, they understand the pain and you know that they understand the pain and they stand with you as a brother and sister of the family of God. 
I worry about our sense of losing our sense of compassion, about compassion fatigue. And I worry for us that if we lose that, we will never be the people whom God had created us to be, a generous, gracious people, welcoming those who are in trouble. Now, where is the good news in all of this? It's about compassion. What I like at the end of the story is that Hagar, the mistreated one, I think becomes Hagar the strong. I think when Jephthah finally appears to her, first of all, it is, uh, for all of us, a commentary on the fact that when we pray to God, God listens to our prayers. There are no unanswered prayers. They may not come as you want them to come, but there are no unanswered prayers. And so when she sits and weeps and cries out to God, basically saying, what are you doing to me? God hears her as God promises to hear each and every one of us, of our, each and every one of our prayers. And God answers by providing an angel pointing towards that pool of water. And what I love about Hagar is she gets up and she goes and dips that jug in the pool of water and takes it to her son. One of the most underappreciated theological virtues in our life is resiliency. And that's what she is. She's resilient. She gets the water, takes it over there. She acts like all of us are invited to act. To know that the issues of the world become our issues. And you and I are invited to be like Hagar, who stands up and acts. I read a commentary about uh, Ethel Gray. I think she was one of the civil rights movement's lady who said, we stood up during the civil rights years. She says, we stood up. And then she said, me and God, we stood up. That's what Hagar does. And that's what I think Hagar is doing inviting each and every one of us to act, to stand up, to be able to proclaim, me and God, we stood up for all the disaffected people in this world. Amen.